God, we thank you that we can stand before you this morning, that we can raise a hallelujah. God, we thank you that everything that we just sang is so true, that we have no need to fear. No matter what the storm is raging around us, God, we know that you are constant, that you are never changing, that you are faithful, that you are strong, that you are true, that you are full of wisdom, grace and love, and that you pour that out onto us as we are preparing ourselves to receive it from you. God, we thank you that today is different because you are in our lives, because you love us, because you died for us, because you made our lives possible. God, we're so grateful. We thank you for everything that you've done for us and everything that you are in Jesus' name. Amen. Take a seat. Welcome to church. Welcome if you're joining us online. It's lovely to have you joining with us today. Um, Onlineers, if you could say something in the chat so we know you're here or check in on the Church Centre app, uh, whatever platform you're using, it's lovely for the online hoster. If you say something in the chat, it encourages us. So um, take a moment to do that now. Everybody else in the building, you can be taking out your devices and checking in on the Church Centre app so we know you're here. That would be wonderful. A few things to talk about. So um, SBC Kids is on today and we're going to have a special live cross to them a bit later during the service so that you guys can see some of what happens out there, all the excitement and fun they have. Um, Creche is on, so uh, little up to kinder age can be going out to Creche now, but the SBC Kids, there'll be a banner to tell you where to go. Um, Everyone can be filling, filling in next steps and connect cards online or in real life. Um, you can pop those into the, the offering buckets as they come around, which is a good point because we can start sending the offering buckets around right now while I'm talking and start taking up that collection. That would be marvellous. Um, a few things to note from the newsletter um, so you should be getting that online. Pastor Brad's been doing a great job at doing that. So I um, hope you're all enjoying that. Um, but a couple of things from that. So this Thursday, we have a gardening and coffee morning. So it doesn't matter how old you are. We're, we're after all ages. It's, it's not an exclusive sort of older person's club uh, coffee morning. So if you're free on Thursday morning, either for the gardening part at 9.30 or for the coffee part at 10.30, we would love to have you come along to that. It's, um, there's a little link to... Uh, register for that in their newsletter so you can let us know you're coming. Also next week is a takeover service as well so if you've not been a part of um, one of our generations takeover services before make sure you are here or joining online next week uh, and don't miss out on that. It's a very different style of service. Um, Yeah just you have to be here. Uh, We can't describe it. Um, And there are a few other opportunities for um, community and fellowship coming coming up. So all the details for, for what we're planning is in the newsletter. So make sure you read through your newsletter um, and uh, join with uh, those community and uh, fellowship building opportunities. The, one of the great things coming up is our men's breakfast, 27th of uh, August, uh, and also followed by our grand tour. So all of the details for that are in the newsletter uh, and you can register for those. Um, Definitely save that date though. It's going to be a great time of fellowship together. All right, so um, I might pray and then we are going to mingle. So uh, if you can stand and we'll all pray together, that would be fabulous. 
God, we thank you for today. God, we thank you that you are the Lord of our life as well as our Saviour for all eternity. God, we thank you that, that you want to be a part of our lives, that, that you want us to be a part of a relationship with you. God, we thank you that you have done everything that you needed to do to make that possible. God, that we can stand before you, uh, that we can come into your presence boldly. God, we thank you for the way that you are intervening in our lives, for the way that you make a difference in our lives, for the, the love and the grace and the mercy that you pour into our lives. And God, as we continue in our worship time this morning, God, as we open ourselves up in worship before you, God, I pray that this is a really significant time for each one of us, whether we're in the room or whether we're joining online. God, that this is a really special time where we we join with you, mind to mind, heart to heart. God, I pray that you speak to us, that you... Uh, as we open ourselves up to you, as, as we join our hearts to yours, God, that you can reach in, that you can bring healing to, um, to our broken places, that you can bring healing and wholeness to our brokenness. God, that you can take away the hard places and make them soft. God, thank you that, that as we um, continue in fellowship together, God, that you are helping us to connect with, with our family and God, as we continue to worship, God, that you can have your way in our heart and in, in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you have five minutes to mingle. Well, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love this morning. We thank you that you are faithful to us, even when we're not faithful to you. God, you love us even when we don't love you. And God, I pray this morning we might know that love, that faith, that grace in our life. God, I pray for those this morning that, that uh, feel like they're not aware of your presence in their life, feel disconnected from you, from your, from your grace and your peace. And God, I pray your Holy Spirit might flood their hearts right now. You might help us to know that you love us. Help us to know that you are with us, that you don't forsake us. God, I pray that you might use these next few moments, God, to speak to our hearts, to give us faith in places where we have doubt. God, we love you and we thank you for all that you are and all that you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please take a seat. Good morning. It's great to have you with us this morning. Good morning to those online. It's great to have you with us this morning. And I think a special good morning to our SBC kids. I don't know if you can hear me. Yes. Good morning, guys. We... Oh, yep. Our connection is strong. Good morning, Pastor Brad. We can hear you. Can we see you? Not, well, not, not yet. You either, so that's good. What? I mean, that's not... I don't mean that's good, Pastor Brad, that we can't see you, but... They can see me, which is disappointing. Oh, there they are. Here we are. We can see you. Hi. Hello. Give them a wave. Look at that. So... Okay. So, Steady, team. Steady. Okay. 
Got some buddy. Have a seat. Some, Have a seat, kids. Some young camera techs ready to go there, I can see. Nicely. So how's it going in church, Pastor Brad? Oh, we're fantastic in here. It's, it's very quiet without the kids, though. Yeah. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Um, and we'll I hear, make up I for it. I hear that you're joining us in big church next Sunday. You're taking over the service or something? That's right. We'll make up for it next week. Because when we come out here and when kids go to youth on Fridays and things like that, we're still doing church. It's just, oh, sorry about that. Uh, it's just our way of doing church. So we're going to bring our way of doing church into big church next week. Well, that so sounds exciting and scary. It'll be good. It'll be very different. It'll be very, it will be exciting. Hopefully not scary. Um, but you'll get to hear from quite a few young people about what they think about God. And um, if you're anything like me, there's always something to learn from young people. Yeah, fantastic. And what do you normally do? So a lot of us, hands up if you've never been into kids ministry before. And you're in this room. Okay, probably half of us. The rest of you, you can remember that far back. If they can remember that far back, they don't, they don't know what it looks like. What do you normally do on a Sunday morning? When you, well, you just play games, I suppose. No, actually, I'll swing you up here. This is our current theme at the minute, which is make waves. Make waves. And we're learning about you can, what you do today can change the world around you. So we've got our, our set here. We've got my, I've got my surfboard. We're all set because even though it's winter, we don't care because we can make waves anytime and we can change the world around us. So we, do, we just had a bit of a, a quick worship song. I had to change over leads there and we'll get to do that worship song with you next week, which will be a lot of fun. Um, then about our topic, we'll play a bit of a game, but then we'll do some teaching and some learning, split into small groups, have a bit of a talk, have a pray, oh, and then parents will come and pick kids up for lunch. Fantastic. So we fit a lot in. You guys just sit there and do nothing. We work hard. That's right, I'll just put everyone to sleep in here. Cool. Well, have a great morning, kids. Thank you very much. Quick wave goodbye, guys. Lovely. How about that? So, next Sunday, the kids' takeover uh, is going to be here. They're all going to be, who knows, the youth and the kids are taking over the service. And uh, I think we're even going to have some of the kids from Yarram involved, which is cool. It's a Yarram Sunday next Sunday. So, be prepared, come along, it's going to be fun, but um, that's happening every Sunday morning. So, when I'm getting up here to preach and you're thinking, oh, it's nice and quiet and I can concentrate and, and there's, maybe you can't, um, maybe your mind's thinking about lunch already, but um, I encourage you to be praying for our kids and praying for our kids' leaders. That's such a vital ministry in our church. Our youth ministry meets every Friday night as well. To be praying on Friday nights, to be praying on Sunday mornings as they meet, as they're learning about the good news of Jesus and learning how to live out their faith, uh, it's so important that we're, we're praying for them and, and partnering with them, even if we're not serving in those areas. I mean, by all means, if you want to serve and you want to be involved, there's always room for more people to be involved in those, those ministries. Um, but if not, at least be praying uh, and, and encouraging the kids, getting to know them. Uh, and next Sunday, we'll be hearing more about them. It'll be fantastic. So, that's cool. All right, enough of that. Let's get into week four of our series on habits. We're going to be looking at a passage in John chapter four. So, the first week, our first habit was in the Word. We're all over that habit, aren't we? Our second habit was prayer. Remember that one? Our third habit was 
fellowship, and our fourth habit will be? What do you reckon? Shout out what you reckon the fourth habit should be. Shout. I can't hear. I'm deaf. Mission. Oh, someone knows. Someone's already checked the preaching roster. Our fourth habit is going to be missional living. Mission. Uh, And maybe that's not what you thought or you were guessing. I don't know. Who knows? But let's have a look and see how this is a habit uh, that we should be cultivating in our own life and why we do it and how we can. So John chapter 4, I'm going to read verses 27 to 42. We're jumping in halfway through a story here. Just for the sake of time, I didn't want to um, use the whole story. But if you know the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman, we're jumping in at sort of the end of that story and as the disciples come back. So it says here in verse 27, Just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Then they left town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And then the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't say, don't you say there are still four months, four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you did not labor for. Others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. When she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this is really the saviour of the world. Lord God, we thank you for your word this morning and we pray that it might teach us, challenge us, encourage us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to hear your voice, your words this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever experienced something in life that you just have to tell people about? That you can't contain? Maybe you saw some phenomena, um, uh, you experienced some sporting moment, saw some natural you know, display of lightning or some sunset or you, you witnessed someone do something phenomenal and you thought, oh, I've just got to tell people. I mean, in a digital age now where we've all got a, a video camera in our pocket, uh, this is more and more the norm, isn't it? We just capture moments and try to broadcast it to everyone. And sometimes the moments that people try to capture are not that phenomenal. But sometimes they are phenomenal. I don't know, just this last week there's or in the last week or two, there's been this whale that breached and landed on a boat. Did you see that? I, I mean, I thought that was phenomenal. Um, I remember uh, for our honeymoon, we went to up north to Queensland and we went scuba diving at the Great Barrier Reef and coming back and just telling people about it. Like, it's, I'd never been before and I haven't been since, but you have to do it. You have to, if you get the opportunity to, to go and see the Great Barrier Reef, um, you have to do it, in my opinion. It's just something that you, 
you can't describe, you can't uh, see it in pictures, it doesn't do it any justice, you need to see it in person. Uh, before you go and do uh, a big overseas trip, if you ever get the opportunity to do that, go see our own backyard first, go see the Great Barrier Reef and God's creation under the water, it's phenomenal. Um, there's no sharks there, it's very safe, water's warm, <coughs> very good. You know, um, when you experience something that brings you joy or brings you some sort of um, uh, some sort of feeling of like euphoria or this is amazing, you've got there's just a natural reaction to tell someone about it. There's not many times that you would experience something that you think, I don't want to tell anyone about this. That was incredible, but I'm just going to keep my mouth shut about that. It's just like the natural thing is, did you see that? Even if you're at something together. If you're both experiencing something together, you're with someone else and you see something, the natural reaction for most people is to turn to the other person and say, did you see that? When they were obviously seeing that. And it's not because they didn't see that, it's because there's something in us that wants to share something that we, we experience joy. We want to share it with those around. So it's a natural part of life. And for this woman at the well, when she experienced Jesus... When she came across Jesus, her natural reaction was to share it with those around her. If you don't know the story of the Samaritan's woman, um, basically Jesus is going to, um, to the well to get some water and he meets the Samaritan woman there. The disciples are going off to get food. That's why they come back and say, Rabbi, eat something, because they've gone off to, to gather some food. They left Jesus there. Samaritan woman comes in the middle of the day, which is very unusual. Um, Jesus says, I've got living water, um, it's a bit weird, or water that won't run dry. Um, and they basically have this, this conversation about her um, relationship with different men and how she's um, wondering if this could be the Messiah, where should we worship, on this mountain or that mountain? You know, the conversation seems a bit strange when you read it. It's like, what's going on here? The woman's trying to deflect and... Um, Jesus is still using that and the Holy Spirit still uses this whole interaction to teach us something um, of who Jesus is and what worship's all about. But something that Jesus does is he recites the woman's past. He says, um, you know, you've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Um, and in saying what he says to the woman, he doesn't approve of what the lifestyle that she's living, but nor does he condemn He's just stating, this is where you're at. This is where your life is right now. And the woman is puzzled. She says, oh, I can see you're a prophet. You tell me about my life and I haven't told you about that. There's no way you would know about that. I don't have Facebook and you haven't stalked me on Instagram. You just know. You know who I am. And Jesus re reveals himself as the Messiah to her. So in John 4, 25 to 26... The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. This is after their full interaction. And Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. So you can imagine this experience of this Samaritan woman. In her joy of encountering Jesus, what does she do? Well, the first thing she does, she goes and signs up for an evangelism conference uh, to take notes of how to share her faith. She, no, no, she doesn't do that. She goes in to Bible college to work out how does the gospel work and how does, how does the atonement affect my life. No, no, she doesn't do any of that. 
She just goes home and says, come see a man who told me everything I, did he, I ever, ever did. Could he be the Messiah? It's incredible the way that she simply shares her faith. Or rather, she simply shares her joy, her experience. In verse 28 to 29, which we just read, the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? The amazing thing about this Jesus is that he knows the woman. I mean, he really knows this woman. She can't and she doesn't hide who she is from Jesus. But at the same time, he has a profound love for her. And this is what we talked about last week when we talked about this idea of fellowship and and mirroring um, the Creator, is that we want to be a community that knows people and loves people at the same time. That we don't know people and then reject them, or that we don't love people without getting to know them. That we love people and we know people. And this is what Jesus does for this Samaritan woman. He knows her, yet he loves her. He loves her as she is. Before she's changed anything, before she's made any decision for him, before she's told anyone about him, he loves her. And so it's in her joy that she leaves and goes and tells everyone about this Jesus. And we'll notice how that she does that in a minute, but... First, to understand a little bit about the context and the culture in which she finds herself in helps us today, I think, understand how we are to share our faith and how this might be a habit for us. So first century Rome, um, and the other thing to understand about this is that John, the writer of this gospel, writes writes this um, account of this story probably sort of towards the end of the first century some maybe 50 years past the event. So he's reflecting back on his time and reflecting back on the ministry of Jesus and retelling the story. And so even in the, the, con- the context of the way in which he is writing um, influences the way he writes this story. And you can see that in that he's trying to explain how the gospel has been spreading so rapidly through the first century in a Roman culture where there was no benefit to being a Christian. In fact, there was just social cost to being a Christian. And so he's trying to... um, I think there's demonstration here of how the Holy Spirit has been using uh, the good news of Jesus and and spreading it through, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles and, and everyone. And so, first century Rome, everyone has their own God. It's a very pluralistic... Um, sort of culture where every town has their own God, maybe every sort of profession has their own God, sometimes even every household have their their own God. And it was normal for people to go from town to town uh, to worship the God of that town or to go from one house to another house and worship the God of that house. Uh, No one thought that their God was the God, it was just their God. Uh, It was like, there's lots of gods and we can worship any god and so if I'm going to your town, I'm going to worship your god. It makes sense too. And so the problem with um, Christianity was that they came along and said, no, we serve the god and we're not worshipping any other god. So if we come to your town, we're not worshipping your god, we're just worshipping the god. And so Christians in turn weren't popular, as you could imagine, because they came preaching that their God was the God and you should bow to him exclusively. And so, in, in a real sense, they were seen as sort of narrow-minded, closed off to, 
to any other way of thinking. And I think it, I mean, we're not the same as the first century, don't misunderstand me, but I think there's some similarities to the way in which our culture has moved and progressed forward. See, a hundred years ago, um, not that anyone was probably around a hundred years ago or remembers, but you can read and, and understand a bit of the culture of a hundred years ago. There was this social pressure to be a Christian. There was this understanding that in order to fit in with society or fit in with culture, uh, it was good for you to be a Christian. In fact, um, I think there's this name Peter Ducker, who's a businessman from a hundred years ago, writes um, about his experience of trying to go get a, a loan uh, at a bank one time. And he, this is a hundred years ago in America, he goes to the bank and the banker says, what church do you go to as part of his loan application? And he said, why do I need to go to church? Well, how, how do we know to trust you if, you don't, if you're not a Christian? Um, or, you know, and you needed to get a pastor's reference to get um, loans and, and approval for, for different things. And so there was this social pressure to be a Christian. It was like, if you wanted to get ahead, if you wanted to do things in life and you weren't a Christian, it was hard. That has moved from the last 100 years to now, more and more so, slowly, there's, there's some sort of social cost to being a Christian. It's like, now we're seen, like I think, similar to the first century, as a bit narrow-minded, a bit exclusive in the way we think and we believe, in that we think that God is the God and He is the only way to heaven. He is the only way to, to joy and to peace, eternal joy, eternal peace. And so the tide has shifted away from social pressure and now, more and more so, there's a social cost. I mean, and what I mean by that is there's no benefit to being a Christian in our our social sort of makeup. You wouldn't go and say, I'm a Christian because it's going to benefit me, I'm going to make more friends if I say I'm a Christian. I'm going to be popular if I say I'm a Christian. Like, that's not going to happen. So you wouldn't be a Christian because you wanted to be popular to those around you or you wanted to fit in to the culture around you. And that was similar to the first century, that Christians are narrow-minded. It's dangerous to be like that. It's seen not as a help to society, but a hindrance to progression. So I think it, it's good for us to ask, why did it spread in this first century when it wasn't popular to be a Christian? It wasn't popular socially to be a Christian in the first century. There was nothing to gain from being a Christian. In fact, it put you in danger. And it put you in real, in the first century, it put you in real danger. To lose your life even, in some cases. So why would people do it? Why would people do it? And I think the heart of why people shared their faith, why the gospel spread was this idea of joy. That it was something that could not be contained. I think another reason that it spread is because it nourished people as they participated in the the gospel work. And this is what Jesus is talking about here when he starts talking about food and sowing and reaping. So listen to this. So John 4, 31, 32. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, Jesus said, I have food that you don't know about. First he tells the woman, I've got water you don't know about. Now he says to the disciples, I've got food you don't know about. I mean, 
if, we, if you said that to someone today, it's like, let's go for lunch. No need, I've got food you don't know about. People would think you're a little bit weird. It's not probably a strong evangelistic um, strategy. You could give it a go. And so it's a little quirky from Jesus here. He's a bit sort of, um, you know, what's the word? Cryptic in, in the way he speaks sometimes. And he's just had this, like I said, a similar interaction with the, with the woman. I, don't, I, I have water you don't know about. I've got food you don't know about. And what food? What's he talking about? Verse 33, the disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? No, didn't have Uber Eats. Verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. So Jesus here is equating his food, his spiritual food, his nourishment to the work he has just done with the woman at the well. He's saying the the gospel work, the work that the Father has sent me to do to proclaim the good news, to to bring about this um, new kingdom, this is what nourishes me, and this is my food. This nourishment is this sowing of the gospel, if you like. Sowing the seeds of eternal life, the good news he brings, and reaping the reward of someone coming to faith. He is nourished. This, this work or this action or this, you could say, this habit, nourishes him, sustains him. Now, the thing about food is, food is not something you have to sort of will yourself up to eat once a week. It's like, oh, I've got to eat again. Come on, come on, come on. Let's, let's do it. Let's force something down once a week. I mean, most of us eat just when we're hungry. It's like, I get hungry. I'm in the habit of, I know what to do. I don't have to think about it. Some of us are in the habit of eating even when we're not hungry. We're just good at it. It's just a habit we've really worked out in our life. But this idea of spreading the news or doing the work of the Father is something that nourishes our faith. And it's something that should be done every day. It's something that should be done like a habit of eating, is what Jesus is saying here, this idea of sowing. Some of us are not sustained in our faith because of our neglect of this habit. Not because we don't read the Bible, not because we don't pray, not because we don't fellowship, but simply because we're not engaged in the gospel work. Ordinary missional living. Food is something we have daily. We don't work ourselves up to it. It's a habit. This is how regularly it's supposed to be, part of our everyday life. Jesus goes on in verse 36. He says, The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Benefited from their labor. Jesus goes on to say here, he says, normally the sower has no joy. Normally, if you, not that I'm a sower in terms of sowing seed in a field, but the, the field is ploughed or whatever it's done, the sower goes out one day to sow seed and he's throwing seed out in that field all day. He looks back on the field at the end of the day and what does he see? The same field that he saw at the start of the day. It looks no different. There is no joy in sowing. The joy comes 
when the harvest time, when that seed has taken root and it flourishes and there's wheat or corn or whatever they're sowing. But Jesus says here, there is joy in both sowing and reaping. Sowing should not be seen as, oh, I've got to sow the seed, I've got to tell people about Jesus. Like, this is not the idea of sowing that Jesus is talking about. He's saying there is joy in sowing and reaping. Both the sower and the reaper do it in joy. We sow in joy, as in it is good for us and it is right for us to be uh, happy and joyous about our salvation. And when we do that, we tell other people about it. And there is joy in doing that. Just like there is joy when you see something phenomenal and you turn to the person and say, next to you and say, hey, did you see that? We look at Jesus in the work. Can you imagine? He saved me. Can you imagine? Like, how could this be that I'm a sinner and Jesus has saved me? Some of us don't share our faith. There's a few reasons. One is pride. Um, maybe we think we're superior to those who don't believe yet or don't believe what we believe but somehow we're smarter better uh, morally better more put together basically we are full of pride full of ourselves completely miss the essence of the gospel that we are a sinner saved by grace now if you think i'm smarter because i know the gospel and the people that i'm talking to just aren't quite clever enough to figure it out You've missed the essence of the gospel. There is nothing good in you, nothing in you that um, makes you better than someone else to receive the gospel. Ephesians 2 talks about that we were dead in our sin and transgressions, but he made us alive in Christ. What does a dead person do or contribute to be coming back to life? Nothing, absolutely nothing. It is a miracle. It is an absolute miracle that someone who is dead could come back to life, just like your salvation is. It's an absolute miracle that you could have saving faith in Jesus. Another reason why we don't share our faith is maybe because of fear, because we're worried about rejection, being less popular. It sort of um, goes back to this idea of the social cost. But ultimately, we're worried about uh, more about this life than eternity. And fear is a type of pride because it's caring more about ourselves than others. Or maybe another reason we don't share our faith is pessimism, that that person wouldn't care about the gospel, it probably won't work, there's no point, people don't want to hear about it, somehow forgetting about the nature of our own salvation again. But we didn't have, to do, we didn't have anything to do with our own salvation. You see, the thing is, when we really understand our own salvation it will only compel us to share it with others. It will only motivate us to share it with others. So how are we to make this a habit? How are we to do this? I think the first thing is that we need to be who we are. Be who we are. So this is the Samaritan woman. This is her story. She is simply being transparent about who she is and what she's experienced. She doesn't do a class first, she doesn't go to a seminar, she doesn't go to a conference, she doesn't go to Bible college, she doesn't go into the depths of doctrine. She isn't even really sharing the gospel. All she goes back to her town and says, there's a man and he told me everything I ever did. 
Could he be the Messiah? I mean, it's more a question, is, isn't it, than, than a, uh, I know the truth, come and see what I know. It's like, ah, this is what I had, this is what I saw, what do you reckon? She's just sharing about who Jesus is to her. She isn't hiding who she is. You know, it's natural in friendships and relationships that, that things get more personal over time, that uh, you might have people that, that you work with or people that you rub shoulders with, your neighbours, that over time um, your conversations get deeper or you find out more about people the longer you, get to, the longer you know them. You don't find out less, generally. And so it's, it should make sense that for a Christian, if Jesus is any way... Um, central to your life, important to you, that people will find out about that just through natural conversations. The only way that wouldn't happen is that if you were intentionally hiding it from those around you or just hiding yourself from people in general. This is what the woman did. She was just, part of her natural response was sharing her experience that she had just had. In the first century, there wasn't people bringing other people to church, there wasn't outreach services, there wasn't um, crusades or anything like that. There was just ordinary missional living. In fact, there was a, it was a danger to bring non-Christians to church. It was, um, they could see who was at church and then potentially go and tell everyone and it would cost people their jobs, their lives, all, all sorts of things. It was sort of like, we need to keep, um, we need to be careful about who we let in to these gatherings. It wasn't that there was no outreach. They just had to do it differently. I mean, today we don't have to worry about that. And so we, give, we run Alpha and we run um, even Sunday morning services in a way that are easy to bring people to um, so that they can hear the gospel. And so there's a real sense that we work together and partner together in sharing the gospel. This story of the Samaritan woman happened, and it was penned by John late in the first century, as Christianity was rapidly multiplying. And it's like Jesus, uh, sorry, John is using this story as a way of showing how the gospel was spreading. It's just through people, ordinarily living their lives, being honest and transparent about what they experience, who they are, and what they believe. See, ordinary missional living is not uh, a matter of more training. You don't need to do more um, conferences or, or workshops on how to share your faith. I mean, all those things are good. I'm not saying you shouldn't ever do those things, but you don't, that's not, you don't need to do that first. That might help you out. What you need to do is share the joy that's in you. And we'll get to, in a minute, if you don't have that joy in you and you feel like it's not coming out, we'll get to that in a minute. Is Jesus important enough to you that you are honest about your faith? Another way we can do this is to, to not assume. This goes back to the pessimism we just were talking about. We assume people, our friends, our family, don't have any need or use of Jesus, that they're okay and we should just leave them alone. People don't want to be preached at. People don't want to hear about Jesus or the church or Christianity. But love is not like that. If we are to love um, our neighbours as ourselves, love does not keep the truth from people. If you know someone is about to drive off a cliff, but they're having the best road trip of their life, 
you know, they're just really enjoying life and really enjoying their trip. You're not going to think to yourself, well, they're just having a really good trip, so I'm not going to ruin their trip by telling them they're about to drive off a cliff. I'm just like, who am, who am I to ruin their fun? You know, we, we wouldn't do that, would we? We'd think, oh, I'm going to just, I mean, they, they're still obviously having fun, but I'm going to warn them about something here. I'm going to show them something about where they're headed. Not because you hate their road trip, but because you care about them, because you love them. The quality of someone's earthly life doesn't negate their need of the gospel. Don't assume. Another way we can do this is to use the word of God. So in Acts 8, you can go and read the story later if you want. There's an Ethiopian eunuch traveling from Jerusalem to Gaza and he's traveling, he's reading the scriptures, a portion from Isaiah and Philip comes along somehow running up and catching up to the, to the traveling procession and, and he uses this opportunity to help the Ethiopian, learn about Jesus. See, the Word of God, the Gospel, the Bible is, as we talked about in week one, is alive and active. It's not like any other book we read. It's the very words of God. It has power to convict and power to transform. And so the Word of God can be used in our way of missional living. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, or if you've ever read the Bible with someone who's not yet a Christian. If you haven't, I really encourage you to try. To ask someone, hey, would you be interested in reading the Bible together? It sounds like a weird thing to ask someone, but I can guarantee you people aren't going to punch you in the face or turn around and say, I never want to talk to you again. They might say no. Well, they might say yes. And because if you read the Bible with someone, you don't need to know the answers. You can just read the Bible and say, what does this tell us about God? What does this tell, tell, tell me about me? Why should I believe this? Should I believe this? What's it trying to say? Explore it together. Read it together. You don't need to know the answer to every question, rather explore it together. Could this be the Messiah? This is the Samaritan's testimony. This is the Samaritan's story. Samaritan woman's story that could this be the Messiah like Jesus is big enough and true enough to stand up to any sort of inquiry any sort of um, someone asking questions of it or questioning it or, or looking at it intently like Jesus is if he is God if he is true if he is who he says he is he's big enough to stand up to any sort of test any sort of person asking difficult questions about it or looking into it trying it out for themselves. Another, reason, another way we need to do this is to point to Jesus. And this is where we're going to finish. In John 4, 29, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? This is what the woman does. She just says, come see this man. Don't go to the well. You know, I went to this well and had a really good experience with Jesus. Maybe we should go back to that well. Maybe that's where it was. Or it was at 12 o'clock. It was in the middle of the day. Maybe we need to go at 12 o'clock. Don't try to recreate your experience, but rather point people to Jesus. Don't get into politics, sexuality, gender, creation, science. At the end of these at the end of the day, these things don't matter for someone's salvation. 
If Jesus was raised from the dead, these things uh, are secondary. If he wasn't raised from the dead, these things aren't an issue. But if Jesus was who he said he was, and he did rise from the dead, it changes everything for the person who believes that. But that has to come first. Could he be Jesus real enough to stand up to anyone's scrutiny and inquiry? This is my experience of Jesus. Could he be God? Could he be the creator? Don't take my word for it. See for yourself. Try for yourself. I'm going to get the team to come back up and we're going to do one last song as we close. Ultimately, the joy of our own salvation will motivate us and compel us to share it with those around you. It's not something about, you know, just, oh, I've got to try harder, or do better, or be more clever. It's the joy of what Jesus has done for us, overflowing to those around us. You know, there's a great prayer that David prays in Psalm 51. You can go read the whole thing. Psalm 51 is David's sort of prayer of repentance when he's caught in adultery. And uh, there's a whole lot in there, but there's a couple of verses here in verse 12 and 13 where he says this. He says, Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. Then, look at the order of how this goes. Then I will teach the rebellious your ways, and sinners will return to you. Even back in David's time, the same thing was happening. The joy of salvation was what motivated and compelled people to respond. This is the prayer of David. He's in a place where God is not his joy. His salvation is not his joy. He's lost that. He's gone wayward. He's gone down a road he shouldn't have gone down. So he's coming back. He's saying, restore the joy of my salvation. Sustain me. Then sinners will return to you. So this is the prayer this morning as we sing this last song. I'd love to pray with anyone who wants this prayer. To restore the joy of your salvation. Or perhaps to give you the joy of salvation if you've never put your faith in Jesus before. If you find yourself this morning with maybe no joy in your salvation, I'd love to pray with you during this last song. If you find yourself this morning never having put your trust in Jesus, but asking that question, could he be the Messiah? I want to give it a go. I want to put my faith in him and see this Jesus, experience this Jesus. See him transform my life. I'd love to pray with you as well. So can we stand? Lord Jesus, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you that you have saved us. You have given us your grace. And God, I pray this morning that the joy of that salvation would rise up within us like living water. It would overflow to everyone around us. God, that the way that we talk about you would just be a natural overflow of what you are doing inside of us, of the joy that we're experiencing in you. And God, for those of us this morning that maybe have lost that joy, gone a bit wayward, taken it for granted, 
God, would you restore our joy this morning? Would you help us to remember the gospel? That we are sinner saved by grace. That without you, we have no hope, no future. But with you, we have everything we need. God, for those this morning who don't yet know you, haven't experienced this joy of salvation, God, I pray that this morning they might put their faith in you. Today is the day of salvation. Lord, we love you. We pray that we might be people that help others to love you as well. Would you help us to make this a habit of ordinary missional living? Ready as we are, growing as we go. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like me to pray for you this morning, I'm going to be standing down the front. I'd love to pray with you as we sing.